chapter 3, verse 16. So, now, I've got it on the screen for those of you who don't have I've got this memorized now, but for your sake, um, I've got it on the screen. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Now, raise your hand if any of you know people that have a bad case of the so loves. I was one individual that was raised in such a family. You know, when there were sporting events, and, and one big one that just really sticks out in my mind growing up, I, I was involved in Taekwondo for many, many, many years, and I would compete nationally, and the, the, we would fill up these giant coliseums. There would be literally thousands upon thousands of people there, both competing and uh, just spectating. And so we're there, and I remember just being down, and it's so loud, but somehow when I would get to fighting, when I would be doing our point, our point fighting that we would do, I could somehow always hear my father in those stands. I, don't, I can't explain it other than he was just plain crazy, right? So he would be up there just, and you could, if I watched him, I couldn't look at him because he was up there, you know, he was fighting in the stands and telling me what to do, and he was shouting command, kick him, kick him back up, you know, and I'm like, would you please be quiet? And it was in that moment that I decided I would not be that type of parent. But then this little human came in the world. And you know, they look like you. And they're so cute. You got to give them their first bath, you know, in the hospital, and that's dad's job. And you're just holding this little fragile baby, and he's just there. And, and, you know, baby Nathan, where's he at? Where's baby Nathan? He's not such a baby anymore. And then, and then baby Kayla hits the scene, you know, and that's even kind of worse because she's a girl, and I'm about to just spoil her rotten, you know. But. It was something about that moment, and those of you who are parents can testify to this, but there's something that switches in you in that moment. There's something that just, that just changes almost in an instant. And all you can say is, I so love this little person. And I can't explain to you how much you love that little person. And then they grow up, and they, uh, I, I remember uh, Nathan, one of Nathan's first, um, raise your hand if you know upward basketball. Have you heard of that here in Missouri? Okay. Y'all play basketball in Missouri? All right. I was like, so we don't really in Alabama either. Don't worry about it. Uh, we're starting to, but anyway. Um, <laughs> he starts playing upward basketball, which is, no offense, pretend basketball, okay? It's not, not really even wreck ball, okay? You wear a little wristband and all you can do is play man-to-man, the guy with your color. You know, it's, it's pretend basketball. And we're not even in a game, okay? And now the switch has turned in me, right? And I'll never be like my parents, right? And so now we're at practice, at upward basketball practice. Y'all hear me? Practice. And Nathan gets a steal. He's going. 
all by himself, but they're starting to catch up, so I'm starting to run down the sidelines with him. <laughs> We're in practice, mind you, okay? This isn't like everything's on the line kind of thing. And I'm running with all my speed, and I'm like, shoot it! And I like startle him, and he shoots it, and it goes up, and it hits the rim, and it sort of goes around and around and around, and then it goes through, and I'm just like pulling my shirt off, and <laughs> there's no dads there, so I'm like knocking nannies out of the way, and I'm just <laughs> like... I mean, no, no sensible dad is that upward basketball practice. <laughs> you would think that he scored a goal for the you know, World Cup of soccer or something. Goal! I'm running around. Had to put my shirt back on. <laughs> Nannies are looking at me funny. Kayla, little bitty thing, hits her first serve over the net. You know, all the, all the girls tend to be a little bigger than her at that age. Like, and, and so the little thing gets up there and whack. All these big girls are hitting it with all their mind just coming short. And she hits it over the net, and I'm just pulling my shirt off, and I'm running. <laughs> Sorry to give you all those images repeatedly. <laughs> but you just so love them. And I want you to know that that's That's God. He is absolutely, he can't even help himself. I can't help myself. They could do the nastiest thing when they were a little kid. Poop all over the place, throw up, do what. I'd be like, that's so cute. Daniel, come get him. No, um, it's so cute though at a distance. But God is, he's so obsessed with, he can't help himself. It's in his nature. It's who he is. He loves us so So I wonder, some of you may be here questioning God a little bit. Maybe you've got some doubts. Maybe you're a little skeptical. That's a good thing. Don't think that your doubts and your skepticism are, uh, are a problem. That's a good thing. That means you're taking it seriously. You're, and the truth, let me just tell you, the truth is never afraid of your inquiry. And God is not afraid of your skepticism. He's not afraid of your doubt. He embraces it, and he wants to help you through it. And he can, and he will, if you'll keep an open mind and an open heart and really look at the evidence. But I'm here to tell you, whether you believe in him or not, it doesn't change his so love for you. In fact, tonight, when you lay down, I think I can make a pretty good case for this. You go lay down, go to sleep, God's going to be watching you. Is that creepy? <laughs> but he will. He's going to be like, oh, look at him sleeping. I love when he breathes like that. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm just telling. I used to do that kind of stuff. Raise your hand if you ever just looked at your kid in the crib and go, "Oh, look at him! I love it when he breathes like that." You know, you're just obsessed with this child. Why in the world? My topic is the lust of the eyes. Why are we talking about God's so love? Well, here's the thing. When we think about the kingdom and it being greater than our culture, and we want to, uh, we want to cancel our culture, and we want to cancel the lust of the eyes, or as, uh, what's his name? Oh, Clarence spoke to us earlier, right? Where's Clarence? There you go. Uh, <clears throat> let's pay back for the Charles remark. <laughs> Charles is in charge, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
Now, some of y'all have no idea what that just meant, and that's okay. That was funny to me. So, <laughs> I got to get serious. I'm sorry. I got to move on. Um, <clears throat> the reason we start here is because God is not just the king over the kingdom, and we're his subjects that just have to get in line and do what he says. That is all true. But see, here's the catch. The king is also our father that so loves us. It's not just anyone giving us a command. It's the one who so loves us, more than anybody ever will or ever has. It's our father in heaven. And also, the scripture talks about him as being not just our father, not just our king, but also our husband. The church is the bride of King Jesus. In Jeremiah chapter 2, starting in verse 2, it says, I remember how faithful you were when you were young, how you loved me when we were first married. You followed me through the desert, through a land that had not been planted. Israel, you belonged to me alone. You were my sacred possession. I sent suffering and disaster on everyone who hurt you. And you hear the husband, his protective nature of his bride that is true to only him. He says, man, if anybody messes with you, I, they're done. He would destroy them. Whole nations if they came against his people. He goes on in verse 5 of Jeremiah 2 and he says, What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worship worthless idols, only to become worthless themselves. That's what we do when we give in to the lust of the eyes. Things start elevating to God's position, and He's no longer God. These, these things become God. But I want you to hear not just the information about this. I want somehow, as you read these chapters in Jeremiah, these verses in Jeremiah, I want you to somehow feel the pain and the agony in the husband's voice because his wife is stepping out on him. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says, Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they're not even gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Can you hear the pain in God's voice? None of the other nations switch gods. And they're not even real. And I've done everything. And you step out on me? And then he says this. The heavens are shocked at such a thing. And they shrink back in horror and dismay. In case we're not bothered, he says, the creation is, the heavens are. They're shocked. How could you, the creation says. And God, in verse 13, says, for my people have done two evil things. I want you to hear him say it. Hear the hurt husband with the faithless bride say these words. They abandoned me. The fountain of living water, that's their first sin. And they dug for themselves cracked cisterns that cannot hold water at all. 
They abandoned me. When we give in to the lust of the flesh, we give in to the lust of the eyes or the pride of life, whichever it is. God says, you abandoned me. And for what? Temporary pleasure? Stuff that's not going to last? To make a name for yourself of which you would never even be able to do so if it weren't for me putting air in your lungs? Maybe you don't know what a cistern is. He says, you've done two things. You abandoned me. You, you abandoned the fountain of living water that's perfect. And everything that you need is perfectly sustainable for our lives and everything that we require. And yet, we go, no, I don't want your water because it's so awesome. I'm going to go out here and dig a hole in the ground, this cistern. And mine, I can't even make a good one. It's got cracks in it. If you look at this, you can see a picture of the cistern, of a typical cistern. Now, you've got this spring of living, perfectly clean, amazing, running water that is safe to drink and good. And you say, no, I've got this on my own. I'm going to go handle this on my own, God. I don't need your water. I got this. And the animals come by and drink out of it. And then they poop you know, a few feet away, and it rains, and then the poop goes down into the water, and everything else, who knows, bugs and everything, it's just still water that's caught from the rain. You go, yeah, I'm going to, I got this. Oh, no, I got it, it's fine. It's a picture of us. It's not just a picture of Israel then and there. It's a picture of us now when we say, no, God, I got this. I can handle this on my own. I want, I need other things other than you. You're not enough. I'm not content with what you give. I got to go out and get some more. So we come to our verse. Well, in a minute we come to our verse. I want to do something. Uh, you're all wondering what the table's about, I guess. So um, let me do this. If I can, be ready to be bedazzled. How exciting. All right. All right. I need you, if you're willing to be a volunteer, the requirement is you must have a wallet. All right. So I need you in this moment to take your wallet out and hold it in the air and do not tamper with it from this moment moving forward if you want to participate. Now, you can, don't be like this. You're going to get tired, okay? I'm gonna, let's take a little explanation. So bring it down to here. You'll be more comfortable. All right, so, <clears throat> so here's what we're going to do. I've been reading through, and, and all of us, the crossings and crossway out in Columbia have been going through the minor prophets, and I'm telling you, they've been wrecking me. I don't know about the rest of the congregation, but it's been wrecking me. <clears throat> and a, a big part of how it's been wrecking me is it's, it's affecting me in, in my generosity, in my wanting to do more and wanting to give more. And so I thought, let's give. 
But I got to make a deal with you. For those of you who have a wallet held in the air and you still want to participate, I'm going to tell you that we have some um, items here. I'm not going to tell you what's under each box, but I will tell you what is under all of them. Under one is just some money. Uh, actually, I would consider it a lot of money. I don't know what you got in your wallet, but I know under the box is a lot of money. Under another box is a brand new smartphone. Under another box is a brand new smart watch. And under another watch, we thought, man, this is kind of guy heavy right here, okay? Or I guess not the money part, that would be girl or whatever. I don't know, is that a sexist comment? Maybe. Um, I apologize. But we also have something not for guys, okay? Let me say it that way. Um, it is, <clears throat> I guess, maybe, but uh, we have a complete three-piece set of jewelry under another box. And so my deal that I want to offer you, if you still are willing, is whatever money you have in your wallet presently, you cannot change the amount. You've got to keep that in the air. You will bring it straight to the stage, and we will trade. You will give me your money first. You will give me your money first, and then stand behind the box that you want. And then we will, one by one, reveal what you got. So if your hand is still in the air, I assume you want to make the trade. Uh, TC, come on up. All right, come on up. Uh, right, right, yeah, both of you. Come on, both of you. And I need one girl. One girl. Come on. Come on. All right, don't, don't do anything. All right, penny up, penny up, let's go. Give me that money. Every ounce that's in there, that's the deal. Ten bucks, wow, you're getting, uh, got nothing? Hold on, hold on, you don't qualify, you had to have cash in your wallet. All right, we got to have cash in the wallet. Come on, come on. All right, don't, don't do anything yet. All right, what do we got? Is this all of it? $62, 72 bucks I've got so far. This is the most productive preaching I've ever done. A $2 bill? Yes. Is that worth something? I mean, hey, man, did you tape that? No, I can't Okay. All right, is that real? Okay. All right, I got, what, 13 bucks? All right, what you got? What you got? What you got? Oh, my goodness. Got some change. <laughs> hey. Hey. Bravo. All right. So, uh, which side should we start on? Let's see. Um, ladies first. Let's, let's. All right. So now, remember what's under this box. And they're taking my word, right? So let's see what's under box number one. Let's go ahead. Oh, a pouch. It's a roll tie pouch. You might want to open it. That's the money. Whoa, 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 how, let's take a guess how much you think is in there, feel that. You feeling good? With your little... Ch okay, okay. Yeah, I, all right, go ahead, go ahead. Open that up. Right, hold that up. That's all right, bro. Oh, man. That's nice. 
What a deal. What a deal. All right, let's see what you got, TC. I'm feeling pretty good about this. You got the jewelry. Hold up your jewelry. We got a bracelet. We got a necklace. And we got a ring. You should give that to Maria. She'll really love it. All right, all right, let's see what you got here. Let's see what you got here. You got the smartwatch. All right, give it up, smartwatch. Are you feeling good? All right, you must have the phone. Let's see the phone. Oh, yeah. What model is that? Fisher Price. All right, very good. Hey, give these guys a hand. All right, thank y'all for your participation. Um, if you're wondering, yes, I am keeping the money. Otherwise, the illustration wouldn't really work, would it? So, what's the point of that illustration? You see, the pride of the eyes, right? Not the pride of the eyes. So, the lust of the eyes is all about Satan saying, you need this. You don't have enough. What you've got is not sufficient. And then you go, you're right. And then you get it. And then you realize, I'm empty. And that was a bait and switch. Can I tell you? That's what Satan does all day long, every day. I'm sorry about your money loss, but I've got to keep it to sink that into our minds. <laughs> so. All right. <laughs> I really thought I was going to get more. Anyway, should have got RJ's wallet. Where's he at? I heard he had a bunch. <laughs> All right, at 1 John 2, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, this is what our whole um, weekend is really about. It says, do not love the world. Don't love the world. The allure of the, look at all the bedazzle. There's bedazzle in the world. There's this allure, and it catches our eye, and we go, yeah, that sounds like a, oh, a phone? Okay, and yeah, he says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God will live forever. So we want to talk about the lust of the eyes. We can't talk about the lust of the eyes in any kind of real, useful way that you can leave here better equipped without talking first about the love of God. And how you, could, how you don't want to hear him say, why did you abandon me? So that's step one. If you hear nothing else I said, from now on when you're allured to walk away from God, I want you to hear his voice say, where are you going? Why? Why am I not good enough? I want to tell you though, and I don't want to at all step on um, my brother's lesson tomorrow on the pride of life. But... I think it's kind of impossible to talk entirely just about the lust of the eyes because it's very rare, I think, in my experience, both looking at the scriptures and stories of people falling to their temptation and both in my real life experience, I just don't know many times when Satan goes, yep, I'm just going to do the lust of the eyes this time. But often it's in concert with the other two. 
And I want to show you something about our culture. We talk about we want to cancel the culture. We first need to identify what underpins our culture. And I want to tell you that all three of these underpin our culture. And the, the lust of the flesh, I would categorize, if you want a P word, it would be passion. The lust of the eyes, P word, would be possession. Like, I need stuff. I see it, I want it. I got to have it. The pride of life would be position. If you want A words, the lust of the flesh would be my appetites, which uh, Terrence, uh, Clarence, or whatever his name is, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, um, TC over there. When he talked about this, this is your appetites, your yearnings. Sometimes it's the God-given ones that are just there. They're natural. And if executed under God's plan, they can be good and beautiful. The problem is in our culture, these appetites and these passions, the lust of the flesh, become what we know as hedonism. Where it says the most important thing about life is that you have fun at it. That you have pleasure. That you are happy. The lust of the eyes says, you need more stuff. This is my avarice. And we call this materialism, which Clint Hill talked about in his class. And where these things become the most important thing in life. Not God, but things. And then the pride of life, I would call humanism. The selfish ambition, this desire to make a name for myself, which is as old as the Tower of Babel, right? Even older than that, back to the Garden of Eden, I would argue. In fact, I would argue that all three of these happen in that garden scene with the serpent. Every one of them. Lust of the flesh, he says, man, that looks good for food and I'm hungry. Appetite. It goes on to say, it looked pleasing to the eye. And then finally, the pride of life also shows up. And not to steal my brother's thunder... And I don't think I will, but they say I could be like God. Humanism says I'm the most important thing. So you got hedonism, my pleasure and my fun and my happiness is the most important thing. Materialism, my stuff is the most important thing. And then pride of life, I'm number one. I'm the most important thing. And I want to tell you that story after story throughout the Bible, these things, it is shocking how many times these three appear together. And that's why I talk about them just for a moment together before we hone in on just one. I think we need to, though, define the term lust. And I want to tell you something, guys. Here's, here's a definition. It's not the end-all, be-all definition. And maybe you've got a better one. Share it with me later. But for now, let's work with this. It's an intense, and that, that, that word, like this burn within, this intense desire that is unregulated. That's another key word. There's nothing wrong with intense desire. That's called passion. And if it's directed in the right way, it is a great thing to have. The problem is when it's unregulated, meaning it is not in submission to King Jesus and his law. But it's an intense, unregulated desire to possess or consume someone or something. If you don't think we have a problem with this, look at a few of these statistics. There are 40 million Americans who are sexually involved with the internet, meaning they use the internet in some form, pornography or some kind of way, to link up over the internet and have sex. Eight out of 10 men ages 18 to 30, 
view porn at least once a month. And these stats could go on and on. Some of you have heard a lot of these stats. They're just overwhelming. They're really sad. But they tell you that we are not a, uh, we are not a group as a nation, certainly not even as a world, certainly not as a church or as a community that is not in need of talking about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. It's right where we are. We live in excess of everything regarding our stuff and our pleasures, the things that we see and we say, I gotta have it. 13 million American women click on porn sites each month. Y'all are not off the hook. I'm aware of that. Is it, a, is it a bigger problem among males? Yes. But is it a problem among females? Absolutely. And that number is rising all the time. Here in America, thinking about not just sexual stuff. When you hear lust of the eyes, maybe you think, we're going to talk about porn all day. We're not. We're going to talk about stuff too. In America, uh, we represent as a population in the world only 6% of the world. America is 6% of the world, and yet we consume 40% of all the world's resources. Y'all know what that means? We're greedy. That's the Bible word for it. That's the one that's hard to put your finger on until you look at a stat like that, and then you're like, well, I'm any, many money. <laughs> Whatever. We're all guilty. I could tell you more, man. Like the percentages of people in the world that don't even have one car, let alone the two or three that many of us have, or five in my household. You know? They're not all mine. It's like, I got teens growing up, okay? Don't judge too hard. Judge a little bit. <laughs> I, I've told some of you this story before. I am guilty. Every time I get a topic, it's always out of weakness. I don't know, is people planning that or something? Like, this is getting old, okay? Because God's just ripping me to shreds. I need to pick myself up for a little while, okay? Because this is my weakness. I, I went out and bought the Insincorator Evolution 6000, okay? I didn't even know... I, our stupid garbage disposal broke. And I, I was like, how much does a garbage disposal cost? And I think Danielle's like, I don't know, $50, 60 bucks, something like that, at, at Home Depot or Walmart. And I was like, okay, cool. I get up there, and sure enough, there's like a $60 garbage disposal. But Home Depot did it to me. You ready? <laughs> Lust of the eyes. You ready? Had a whole display. Had like five of them. You push a button, and the first one goes... <laughs> When you push the button, the next one goes. <laughs> next one. <laughs> I get all the way down like, man, what's this insincorator? <laughs> Had a pretty display, you know. Before I saw the price, I pushed the button and it goes. I was like, I want to get my phone out. I want Danielle, they got this thing. Goes, you know, uh, how do you get excited about a stupid garbage disposal? But I did, and and so I came home with the insincorator. I, it wasn't three hundred sixty dollars. That's the only one I could find online. I wish I had found where they're selling that. I paid four hundred and fifty dollars for that stupid thing. This is confession time. I'm not proud. I'm just telling you, man, I'm speaking out of weakness. I see that, and I'm like, oh, look at that. Oh, it grinds the food like four times before it throws it away. It's like, 
I mean, but who does that? I mean, maybe not a garbage, but maybe not over the top stupid like me, okay? But, but you do it with your phones, you do it with your technology that just gets outdated overnight, it seems, all the time. Listen, we're not alone. This is a very old problem. Solomon had the problem. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Anything I saw, Solomon says, anything I saw and wanted, I got for myself. I did not miss any pleasure I desired. And I picked the NCV because it sounds an awful like, an awful lot like an Ariana Grande song. Here are the lyrics. Let me see if I can do it justice. All right, easy now. I want it. I got it. 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 You like my hair? Gee, thanks. Just bought it. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. Hey! Yeah. So, what a crazy song. I read the rest of the lyrics. I was like, I can't sing that. Sheesh. It's called Seven Rings by Ariana Grande. It's a whole song about her lust of the eyes. That's the whole song. I see it. I want it. I got it. I got the money. Ain't nothing I can't buy. That's what the song is about. God predicted this, by the way. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20, he says, Death and destruction are never satisfied. We know that. But you know what else he says? And neither are the human eyes. They are never satisfied. Can you relate? Come on, help me feel like I'm not alone. Who can relate to this problem? Your eyes just always want something more. You see somebody else's stuff and you go, why don't I have that? It's a problem, guys. And it's a problem that really we've got to connect to this idea of, man, God is not sufficient, right? We're not content with what we have. Paul knew the secret of contentment. He said, I know what it's like to be well-fed. I know what it's like to be hungry. But I've learned the secret of being content no matter which one of those circumstances I find myself in. He says, I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. That's not the touchdown verse, okay? I did it through Christ who gives me strength. That's the suffering, right? That's what that verse is about. It's about being content in any and every situation. We need the power of Christ to overcome our eyes so that we can be content in any and every situation. God knew this was going to be a problem. Now, this is super cool to me, man. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. And maybe this has hit you a long time ago. But God, you know, talks about this in his law, in his Ten Commandments. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, how do we tend to view the Ten Commandments or any of the laws in the Bible? We tend to think about it, and our world thinks about it as a bunch of rules that you got to keep, a bunch of things you can't do. It's God being the ultimate... Uh, curmudgeon, you know, like the ultimate killjoy up in the sky, right? And, and so we, we want to say there's just a bunch of rules. He's trying to take our fun. But no, what's really happening is he knew our eyes would never be satisfied, so he gave us a law to help us regulate ourselves, keep ourselves safe, and keep him first above all other things. Look at the laws like that. Like, stay away from the hot iron, honey. View it like that. Because what's going to happen? You go, what's she holding back from me? Mom! You know? God has given us laws to protect us. He knew this would be a problem, so he says, don't covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet any of it. It was a problem all the way back in the garden. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament. You, we're going to look at the story here in the garden. But we're also going to look um, at 
the story in the New Testament where Jesus faces temptation. And the interesting thing is, is that the pride of life shows up, the lust of the flesh shows up, and the lust of the eyes in all of these accounts. It shows up in the life of David and Bathsheba in that story. Every one of them are there. I challenge you, just go look at when people in the Bible fell and say, are all three present in almost every case that I can think of? They're all three there. And nothing changes. Just like our spoken word this morning, or this, this afternoon, right before I came up, he says, man, he doesn't have any new tactics. He's just pulling from the same script. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 6, it says, when the woman saw the fruit, when she saw it, that the fruit of the tree was good for food, there's the lust of the flesh, and pleasing to the eye, there's the lust of the eyes, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, because they wanted to be as God. That's the pride of life. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, doing a whole lot of nothing. That's the Mackie Shed version. He was right there. What you doing, man? Speak up. Protect your bride. Husbands, you should let your wife do something because you want to keep her happy? That's, that's going to hurt her? That's not love. That's being a wimp. A bunch of pansies. Stand up and lead. Gets us in a mess, man. You see your wife having lust of the eyes? Challenge it. You love her? You're just going to let her go? Not love. We look at Jesus. Now, I, I, it's never hit me before, but have you ever thought about this? I think that out of all the stories of temptation hitting someone, don't you think that this was Satan's best effort ever? I mean, he knows who he's coming against, right? This is Jesus. I'm going to give him the best I got. So he comes at him with all three. We're just going to look at the one. In Matthew 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, Again, this is after a couple of temptations already. He says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you. See, what are the lusts of the eyes about? It's about possession. It's about getting stuff. And he says, I'll give it all to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. We know how the story ends. Jesus is successful. He turns him down every time. The pride of the life temptation turns him down. The lust of the flesh temptation, he was hungry. Listen, let me, let me give you a side point. He, since TC has already talked about this, I don't feel so bad. But when he tempted Jesus with the, turning the stones into bread, could Jesus turn the stones into bread? Anybody else in here been tempted by that? No, why? Because you can't do it. You can't. Well, you know what that tells me? It tells me that Satan will not just attack you in your weakness, he'll attack you with your strength. Some of y'all have strengths you need to use to the glory of God. The problem is the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and all these other lusty eyes, all this stuff is getting at you, and you're using it for your own benefit. Or you're burying it, not using it at all, out of fear. Jesus succeeds. We know this. Not only from the story, because he resists him, hits him with scripture every time. Hello? 
Maybe that'll work for us. This is the best effort Satan gave right here. And so we can look at Jesus who succeeded and go, that's the best he's got? That's what Jesus did? What does that tell you? If we follow suit, maybe we'll be able to overcome some of these things as well. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we know Jesus succeeded. Look at what it says. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our, weakness, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. In every way. Do you think about Jesus like that? Like, I think we really struggle with his humanity. We're okay with exalted Jesus in Revelation, blazing fire, eyes and sword coming out of his mouth and stuff. And we're okay with Savior Jesus and all these things. But what about humanity Jesus? The one that had every temptation just like we did, but overcame every time. I want you to write this down. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted. He didn't sin. Temptation is not sin. Same-sex attraction, which Wes talked about in here earlier. That's not the, the attraction part of it, guys. It's not the sin. It's the execution of that. You know, being attracted to a pretty girl. Young men, your hormones, you're like a, a hormone with legs right now. Okay, that's really all that some of you are at this point. Some of you are growing out of that. But man, in those teen years, that's not your fault. That's just the way you're wired. But listen, that's why you need to listen. You need to stick close to your leaders in these years, man. Listen to what they say. Because they're not, they're not thinking the way you're thinking, okay? They're able to isolate some of that, whereas you're in the middle of it and it's hard. But listen, I want to tell you, don't feel guilty for seeing a pretty girl and going, man. That's not the problem. The problem is when we take it the step further. Remember the definition of lust? The definition of lust is now, oh, I'm not just glancing and going, whoo, and then moving on. But I see her in the grocery store, and I was going down the cereal aisle, and now suddenly I'm going down the deli aisle because that's where she went. Oh, she saw me, oh my gosh. You know, and, and it goes beyond that, and you start unclothing them and you start imagining and fantasizing and now before you know it man Jesus says man you might as well have already done it because you've done it in your mind and your heart nothing wrong with acknowledging beauty in fact I would argue that I don't know that you can not notice those things you know, unless you're blind you're supposed to, he wired you to be attracted, he, but, he, but then he gives you his regulations. Lust is unregulated. Full vent to whatever my mind, wherever my mind will take me. But it is an issue of our eyes. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 22 through 23, the eye is the lamp for the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the, if the only light that you have is really darkness, then you have the worst darkness. But he says, man, it starts with your eye. I think it's the message paraphrase. I didn't want to use it because it's like, it's way out there. But it's not completely wrong. <clears throat> but he says, I think it uses the language, the eye is the window to the soul. You've heard that before, but it's also in the message paraphrase. Now, as the window of the soul, it's, it's what you let everything in. You got some other 
You got some other windows too, okay? They're your ears, right? We control what we listen to, we control what we see, and we put in front of our eyes. And we need to be wiser about that. But he says, listen, there's something here about the eye that it can be either bad or it can be good. And he's not talking about your eyesight, your physical eyesight, but he's talking about how your brain is connected. Your mind is connected to your eyes. Really, he's talking about a mind change that needs to take place and govern your eyes. And really, in the context, before and after this, it gives you the context of what he's really talking about. Do you know what it is? We're going to look at the verses a little bit later, but I'll give you a preview. He's talking about storing up treasures on earth versus storing up treasures in heaven. He says your eyes are off because your, your eyes are seeing treasures here and they're wanting to store it up and that's bad. And if it gets like that, guys, it'll get out of control and the light within you will be the darkest darkness. Because it's connected to our discontentedness. It's connected to us having the perfect stream of living water but going, nope, not good enough. I'll dig a nasty cistern. It spits in the Lord's face when we exalt stuff above Him. I want to give you a solution to this. TC, I think he had two words. Replace and refocus. I didn't know that. So maybe it's the Holy Spirit telling us the way that we get over the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes is to refocus. And I want to give you each letter as we close. Write these down. If you want to overcome the lust of the eyes, you need your eyes refocused. Not disconnected from your mind. Ultimately, what we're talking about is repentance, a change of mind and heart that will govern our eyes. But listen to these responses. R, respond to his soul love for me. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, he says this. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. I'm convinced until you wrap your mind around how much this man watches you sleep. This man, God, okay? He watches you sleep. He's obsessed. He sent his only son to die for you. Even while you were still a sinner and didn't deserve anything but death, he goes, I so love you. Until you figure that out, I'm not sure that you'll ever really be able to love him back. It starts with his love and understanding it and believing it and knowing it to be real. Not just intellectually knowing it, it exists, but feeling it, that it needs to travel from here to here. That's not very far, but it seems like forever sometimes. We're so smart. We got all the information, but our hearts very often are disengaged. Titus says it this way, well, Paul says it to Titus in this way. In Titus 2, verse 12, he says, His grace teaches us to say no to godless ways and to sinful desires. We must control ourselves. You know, Carrie talked about this, I think it was. We're not animals, man. You stick your hand in there, we can't let go of the seeds or, the, or whatever it is that we're reaching in for. And, and so we just get trapped. We're not dumb. We can control ourselves. 
We, we must do what is right. We must lead godly lives in today's world. But what is going to help us do this? The word here for um, his grace teaches, the word is padeu. And for all the uh, nerds out there, that's the same word where we get Padawan. Like the Padawan learner in Star Wars, okay? It's the, uh, the apprentice. In other words, his grace comes alongside us and it trains us and it equips us and helps us to say no. When our eyes want to say yes, we need to respond to his so love. E, embrace radical commitment. I think you've heard this more than once this weekend, but maybe you need to. Maybe there's a reason it's repeated. Sometimes we don't catch it the first, second, third, fourth, or 20th time. Pretty hard-headed we can be. But if you think that following Christ in any shape, form, or fashion does not require a radical commitment, then you're following the wrong Jesus. You're following an invented figment of someone's imagination. Because Jesus made no bones about it. The guy comes up and says, I'll follow you anywhere you go. And he goes, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I don't have anywhere to lay my head. You still about it? That's the Mac Shed version. Um, turns to a crowd and says, wow. If you don't hate your father and mother, you can't keep following me. You might as well just go home. A bunch of people went home. And Jesus wouldn't make a very good American preacher concerned about keeping crowds coming and happy. Shrunk, he, man, he was shrinking. Probably get fired. You know? Embrace radical commitment. What does it say? Mark chapter 9, verse 47. Here's a radical commitment. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better to enter life with one eye than to be thrown into hell with two. And Jesus don't play games, does he? What is he trying to say here? Does he, does he really believe that blind people can't sin? No. But he's trying to convey the seriousness, the gravity of this matter. It is more serious than you're taking it. It is more dire than you are making it. You're in danger. And he says in danger of hell. I don't know how it gets any worse. We got to get this thing under control before it controls us. It takes a radical commitment. For some of you guys, and, and TC I think was the one that talked about this. Man, Get your phone out of your bedroom at night. What are you doing? Every night, same thing, right? And then you go, why? I'm sorry, God. Here I am again. And then right back in there again with it. What are you doing, man? Cut the thing off. Find out what your trigger is. Cut it off. It might save your eyeball. You know, cut the phone off. That's better than your eyeball, isn't it? Um, where am I? Okay. Fix my eyes on Jesus. F. Now, this sounds really cliche. The only problem with that is it's straight from God's word, which is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So let's listen to what he says. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. Who is the author of our faith and the one who brings it to its goal. In view of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and he has taken the seat at the right hand of God's throne. 
Listen. We are in a battle for our eyes' attention. But who controls what you fix it on? Is it the advertisers? Is it the clickbait? Is it the pretty girl that's wearing next to nothing? Is it their fault? You know what Adam and Eve said, right? Who told you you're naked? There's that woman you gave me. He simultaneously, that's his talent right there. He simultaneously blamed God and the woman. Then he looks at the woman. What have you done? Uh, It was the serpent. You know what's sad? Serpent doesn't make an excuse. That's sad. You ever think about that? The only ones that played the blame game were the ones that are supposed to be good. Supposed to be out for each other's interest and have each other's back. Satan's a lone ranger, didn't make an excuse. You can't blame God. You can't blame Satan. You got to own responsibility. You know how you spell blame? Start it out. What's the first letter? Lame. <laughs> Be lame. That's how you spell it. You want to be lame? Then blame people for what you are responsible for. In James chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, when it says, When tempted, no one should say. Notice that. No one should say. You should never. And by the way, in the Greek, this is in the imperative. It's, it's almost like you better not say. That's, that's kind of what it's saying, okay? That's the Magnet version again. You better not say that. Don't you dare say that. That's kind of the way it comes across in the Greek. He says, no one should say. That's so polite. God is tempting me. For God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire. You're responsible. God didn't make you do it. Well, he gave me these urges. Why did he create me this way? Lady Gaga said it's the way I was made, you know. I was born this way. Cool. Is that erase your free will? So you're born some way. So you're predisposed to alcohol or drugs. You're going to blame your genetics? That doesn't work. Blame your mama and your daddy and your ancestry. If that doesn't work, well, blame the medication you're on. If that doesn't work, well, the doctor didn't give me the right medication. That's the doctor. Own the responsibility. If you want to get over your problem, whatever it is, your problem with your lust of the eyes, you've got to take responsibility and stop. Refuse to be lame and blame other people. C, you've got to create boundaries. If you want to refocus and keep your eyes safe, you've got to create boundaries. You control. No one else does. You control what you intake. Some of y'all just spend hours, an insane amount of time, on Grey's Anatomy. I mean, listen, it's not Grey's Anatomy for me. I'm not like the innocent guy or something. Like for me, it shows like 24 or something. Chuck Norris, Walker, Texas Ranger or something, you know, ridiculous. At least there's some value there. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But 
Create boundaries, man. Don't just, don't just be like a free-for-all and watch your kids. Kids, I hate to tell you, man, your parents have a sucky job sometimes. We don't like being killjoys. We don't like being the one going, hey, why don't you put your phone down at the dinner table for the thousandth time. We don't like to be that person. That annoys the crap out of me too. I'd get tired of hearing it too. You know what would help us? Do it before we ask. It'll save us all a lot of headache. Have a little discipline. Own some responsibility. Create some boundaries for yourself. Man, I tell you what, if some of you young folks would do that and you come home and you say, Mom, hey, could you put your phone up at the dinner table? I want you to first watch her jaw hit the table. But I guarantee you, any mom or dad with any sense would quickly put it up and go, are you sick? Are you okay? What are we doing? Are we talking? Let's do that, you know? Man, surprise them. Shock them. Take some responsibility. Don't wait till your leader tells you to do it. Create some boundaries. Talk to them about it. Get some advice on how to create the boundaries. But man, take some ownership of that and create them. Uh, in Job 31, about boundaries regarding eyes, this is probably the most famous passage. In Job 31, 1 through 4, it says, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made an agreement, man. I mean, if it takes it, write it down. Do it verbal, do it written, whatever. Put some blood on the paper. I don't know. Do something, but not to look. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully. Remember? Unbridled, unregulated, just free for all. Not just noticing, but fantasizing, unregulated. He says, I made a covenant not to do that at a young woman. For what is our lot from God above? Pay attention to this. Because he gives you the reason why he had to make a covenant. He says, for what is our lot from God above? Our heritage from the Almighty on high. Is it not ruin for the wicked? Disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? See, some of y'all don't think that. Y'all think I'm in my room by myself tuning in on this thing on the internet. No, God's sitting right there going, what are you looking at, bruh? And he's not just like, what are you looking at, bro? That's, that's, that's really not true. He's sitting there crying. He's crying because you're abandoning him again. When he's done everything for you. You. Utilize God's word. It's there for a reason. Some of you can't use it because you don't know it. Read it. Don't just read it to check off your list of things to do at the end of the day either. Read it, man. That's the sword of the Spirit. Without the sword, you ain't doing no damage, man. You ain't, you ain't conquering anybody. How did Jesus fight? Not with swords. Not with fists. Not with politics. How did he fight? Word of God. With love. Compassion. Over and over, Matthew 4, 4, it's written, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 7, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Matthew 4, 10, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do you realize, when's the last time you read the book of De Deuteronomy? This is Satan's best effort. You know what Jesus used? The book of Deuteronomy. Maybe you should crack it open sometime. Maybe Jesus is on to something here. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that's the end-all, be-all, the only passage you go to. For sure, we've got way more information. Like, like the angels long to look into the stuff that we've got access to, okay? We've got so much 
in our arsenal. The problem is you hadn't cracked open the arsenal. You hadn't put it in your tool belt because you hadn't had the time and you haven't made the time. You've had the time. We all got the same time, by the way. Ain't nobody special in that regard. We all got 24 hours every day, all day. Jesus had this stuff memorized. He didn't crack open the scroll. Hold on some and see what it says here. He had it memorized. Know the Word of God, man. Utilize the Word of God. There's a reason why Paul says it's God's very breath and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, training, and correcting and all those good things to make the man of God thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then finally, we got to see the real treasure. Lust of the eyes is fundamentally believing that there's some treasure that I don't have that I need when God goes, I've got all the treasure in the world that you ever will need. Why are you not satisfied? I already built your mansion. It's waiting on you. Yeah. What does he say? In Hebrews chapter 11, notice the example of Moses. And this is talking about Moses. He's, and, and before this, it says he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What's he doing? He's rejecting the pride of life there. A lot of esteem being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see all three appearing here too. Lust of the flesh, pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. Look at what he says here with the lust of the eyes. He reckoned that to suffer scorn for the Messiah was worth more than all the treasures of Egypt. For he kept his eyes on the future reward. Some of y'all are so fixated here. I've talked about this before, man. This is just the airport. What do you do in an airport? Do you go around, oh, I got to make sure I clean this airport up. Oh, look at this mess. Oh, my goodness. You don't do that at the airport. What do you do? You're trying to get out of the airport so you can get home. I'm afraid we're at the airport. This, this world, this, this nation that we're so consumed with making it just right and getting all the policies and all the right officials in place, it's not even our home. It's like we're just going around, well, I've got to clean up the airport. Really? You plan on staying here? I'm not. This is not my citizenship. I have a citizenship in heaven where there's a reward, there's a mansion, there's a treasure that I'm trying to store up there, not here. Is it wrong to be rich in this world? No. I do believe it's wrong to die rich. Meaning you're just hoarding it. Man, give, give, give. That's why you got it. Use it for, it's not yours anyway. He's just loaning it to you. He's letting you be a steward to see what are you going to do. That's all your money is. You got a bunch of it? That's just God going, what are you going to do? You going to serve yourself? You going to help my kingdom expand? What are you going to do? Let's see. Oh, you, you saying you love me? You prayed you loved me. You taught a Bible study about loving me. What are you going to do with your money? Don't store up for yourself treasures, Jesus said, on earth where moth and rust will destroy. That's a command, by the way. He says, don't do it. Don't store it up. And it's, not a, it's not a command not to save. That's a, that's a wise thing to do. Save, invest, yes, do that. But man, when you have a return, Give. That's not for you to just stick away. When there's a world dying, man, in need, and we're going to talk about injustice, or I am anyway, tomorrow I'm going to talk about injustices. Man, we need to loosen our wallets. Thank you all for the 74 or so dollars. I'll reinvest that. I appreciate it. I love you all. All right, let's finish this. 
But store yourself treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed, where moss and rust and thieves don't break in and steal. Your heart will be where your treasure is. That's all God's plea is. He says, I want your heart. I want all of you. I don't want some of you. And I don't want you to value things above me. When you do that, you're going to kill yourself. You're not going to help anybody. Guys, I want to pray for you, and I'm done. And I'm going to keep this prayer short. Father, with your Holy Spirit, would you just erase all of my words that don't belong to you and sink deep into the hearts of everyone here, your words. Bring about conviction through your Spirit even now. In Jesus' name, amen.